All right. How are we all doing? Good, 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 good. Excited to be here. I think last time I was here, um, it was probably almost actually a year ago, because it was last Leaders Conference, uh, last year's Leaders Conference that came up as well. Um, and we had a fire alarm go off, and we had like a little mini fire drill. And uh, I, was, I came today expecting another fire drill. That was like, it was actually kind of fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, so, yeah, but uh, as you can tell, we've been at a conference. I've been yelling, and my voice is kind of going, so please bear with me. Um, are you guys okay if I start with a joke today? Yeah. Cool. I've got this horrible reputation back in Wales, right, because I love to tell jokes. And for some reason, my jokes just keep getting worse and worse and worse. So anytime I get up to preach, everyone changes for the first five minutes because they know there's going to be some type of ridiculous dad joke that's going to come out of my mouth. But you know what? I find them funny, and so I love it. So there's two priests, right? And these priests go away on, on a vacation, right? So they're going away on holiday, and they think to themselves, oh, when we go, I just I don't want anyone to know who we are. Like I just want to sit and I want to relax, right? And so they go, okay. So they take off the dog collar and like all their priestly attire and all this stuff, right? And they, they go to like Mexico or wherever and they're on this beach and they think, oh, we just want to make sure we don't get recognized, you know? So they put on shorts, flip-flops, you know, big old t-shirt, like just really trying to blend in with the crowd, right? And so about three o'clock, you know, as the sun's just right up there, they're sitting on these deck chairs and all of a sudden this beautiful woman comes walking up in a bikini, and she comes up to them and she walks right in between the both of them and goes, Father, Father. And she keeps going and they think, how on earth does this woman know who we are? This, this is weird. So they think, oh, we got we to do a better disguise. And so the next day they go out to the same seats and they put on like sunglasses and a hat, right? And they're really trying to like, you know, kind of like cover themselves up a bit more. And the same woman at three o'clock again walks right by them and goes, Father, Father. And so they're sitting there and they're like, how on earth are people still recognizing us? This isn't okay. Um, like, we've come to relax. And so the next day they go, right, we're going to go big old ponchos, big sombreros, big glasses. Like, you know, you can't even, re- like, you can't, they don't even recognize themselves at this point, right? And so they're sitting again, and again at 3 o'clock, this woman comes walking up from the beach and just goes, Father, Father. And the, the priest goes, excuse me, ma'am. How on earth do you know who we are? Like we, we we're not we're not priests in this city. We've got all we've we've disguised ourselves. And she just looks at both of them and goes, "Father, it's me, Sister Helen." <laughs> so there we go. That's what I'm starting with. That's my joke. Thank you. Yeah, go on, get in there. <laughs> so, all right, guys. Today, I just kind of want to just just want to talk about. Um, we're, gonna, we're just going to go through the story of Jacob, um, and I was, I, it's a bit of a weird, not weird message, but I normally structure my messages with acronyms and three I's and all this different stuff, um, but today I just want to just dig into this, to this, uh, this portion of scripture, and I want to call it, I call it, Be a Jacob, right? Now, so some of you, if you're familiar with the story, you're probably looking at me like, why on earth would we want to be like Jacob? Um, if you're not familiar, I'll give you a quick synopsis of, of Jacob's life, right? Jacob stole his brother's birthright, stole his brother's inheritance, he tricked his dad, and then he had to flee because his brother wanted to kill him, and then he ends up in his uncle's land, and then he works seven years for the wrong wife, which he thought he was getting the right one, so then has to work another seven to get the right one, 
and then they have a falling out, and then as they go to flee his uncle, his wife steals all of her father's possessions, and they're on the run again, right? And so when we look at this, we think, man, if I ever met Jacob, I probably wouldn't leave my wallet out around him, right? <laughs> like, he's kind of a shady guy, right? Um, but when we really dig into this story, which if you guys could just flip to Genesis 25 real quick, I think what we do is we've judged someone without finding and understanding the context of his life. Um, so let, if, let me know when you're there. It'll be Genesis 25, and we'll start in 27. Are you guys with me? Yep. Cool. All right. It says, as the boy grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter and was an outdoorsman. But Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating wild game and Esau brought ho- that Esau brought home. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And I think when we, normally when we read this first little bit of this story, it's something we skip over and we don't take the time to understand why that was put in there. And at the beginning of Jacob's life, we see a man that didn't feel love from his earthly father. So it distorted his view of love and identity from his heavenly father, right? And so we, like, we see him go from this place of as he's growing up as a boy, he didn't feel loved by his dad. You know, they don't, they don't just put he was loved by Rachel for no reason and leave Isaac out of it, right? And so we see this, and then all of a sudden, this guy starts to create his own identity, He has to create his version of love. He has to create how he sees himself. He has to create his own value and his own worth. And he does that by material possessions. Because as we see all through his life, he's constantly just going after material things, wealth, finance, all these things. And he's building his entire identity, his entire love, his entire perspective of love around this. Right? And if this is all he knows then can we really blame him for how he lived his life? Because he's just a man that saw, I need to make myself valuable. I need to, like, the only way people love me is based on how much I have. My identity is all wrapped up in all of my possessions, all of my, my sheep and my horses and whatever else they had back then, and, you know, a bunch of animals. Um, and then, you know, and on top of that, he gets one wife, looks at her and thinks, I don't like you, but hold on, will you stay with me for seven years while I work for your, your younger sister? Is that okay with you? You know, like, what a horrible feeling, right? And so we see that he even starts to pass down this distorted view of, his, of, of identity and love into his family, right? It's really interesting, if you keep reading, when he goes to his uncle's land, it says, he tells his uncle why he, why he fled, and he says, he says that his uncle says this line, he goes, Ha, ha, ha. Or he said he laughed. I don't think the Bible actually says ha, ha, ha. That's me paraphrasing. Um, His uncle laughed and said, you're definitely from my bloodline. Hurt people always find hurt people. People who have a misunderstanding of identity will always attach themselves to other people that have a misunderstanding of identity. Right? Because all of a sudden this guy knew, right, you, your view of identity is how much you have. That's how I view it. So let's get together. Right? That's, and we will create a family that has a misunderstanding of identity. And that's why, guys, it's so important as, just as people that just love God that we have to understand that we have to know who we come from. We have to know where we belong. We have to know how much he values us, that we're sons and daughters, that, right, that we're not just these random people, that the only way you get based on your value is if you can preach or if you're good on the PA system or if you can do the projector or you can pass the offering buckets, whatever it is. That doesn't, 
that doesn't measure our value in the kingdom. But sometimes because as we have this, we have this little subconscious thing that happens of if I'm not doing this in church, if I don't get to this point of leadership or this point of like um, title or whatever you want to call it, that all of a sudden we think, well, I'm not as valuable as someone else. Right. I can say, right, I'm just as valuable as a homeless man that walks in and sits on the back row and doesn't say a word. Right, because it's not, it's all about the extension that comes from us. It's the extension of God's love that we can portray on people. And the reality is that person in the back row could have a better understanding of identity than me, which means he's got a better ability to help people and he's got a better ability to show people God's love by who he is. Right? Um, Genesis 25 is where we are. And we're going to go, if you guys want to skip with me, I think in 32, we're going to pick up, right? So you got a bit of a synopsis of, um, Jacob's life and where he's at. And this is kind of where we're just going to like focus in today. This is Genesis 32, 22. It says, During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his eleven sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all of his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. The man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you, unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. And then he blessed Jacob there. At the very beginning, we see a man that's based his entire identity, his entire view on love, right, separate himself from it. He takes all of his possessions, all of his family, and he sends them across the river, and then the man appears I call it the beach, it's just easier, right? On the beach um, with him. And so we have Jacob, who's in a very vulnerable spot right now. Because all of his worth, all of his value, all of his...
Sorry, guys. I'll keep my hand up here. <laughs> right? 33. Then Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with 400 men. Right. So if you're coming with 400 men, right, you're not coming for a friendly greeting, are you? The last, the last time you saw your brother, he stole your inheritance. You said you wanted to kill him, and now you're going after him with 400 men. Right? So he's, he's got some intentions behind him, right? It's pretty clear that he's coming to do some business, right? He, he's going to fulfill the promise that he made to himself all those years ago, right? And now you've got Jake, and then it says, so he, so he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and his two servant wives. He put the servant wives and their children at the front, Leah and her children next, Rachel and Joseph last, right? So can I just say, if I was in that family, I think it's real clear where you stand right like my brother's coming with 400 men to kill me um let's see if you'll get a conscience by the end so i'm gonna stand at the back and if you and i don't really like this kid you go up front you're okay you can go second and and so it's like he almost puts a pecking order in it right (laughs) it says then jacob went on ahead as he approached his brother he bowed down to the ground seven times before him Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they both wept. What a beautiful moment, right? That we have two brothers, one of them wants to kill the other one for what he did, comes with 400 men, and then Jacob bows seven times, which I believe, reading between, you know, seven's a number of completion. I think in that moment it was a symbol to his brother of I've been made whole. I've found God. He's my Lord. And so he signals to his brother of, I'm not the same guy. No, please pump the brakes on the 400 guys behind you, you know? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know, he's like, it's, he does. He says, like, I found God. I just wrestled with him. And then all of a sudden, his brother just runs and they embrace and they weep all because a man just found his identity. All because all of a sudden, a man had an actual true understanding of what love looked like and what love meant, Right? And when we continue on, it says, he bowed down before him, and what were all the flocks and the herds I met as I came, Esau asked. Jacob replied, they are a gift, my lord, to ensure your friendship. My brother, I have plenty, Esau answered. Keep what you have for yourself. But Jacob insisted, no, I have found favor with you. Please accept this gift for me. And what a relief to see your friendly smile. It is like seeing the face of God. Please take this gift I've brought for you because God has been very gracious to me. I have more than enough. But Jacob insisted and Esau finally accepted the gift. We see a man completely surrender his whole identity. It's safe to say that Jacob probably wasn't very generous in his beginning days because he just kept stealing from everyone. He stole from family. And now all of a sudden he meets God and everything he's built his life around, he just holds with an open hand. And he says, God has given me more than enough. God has fulfilled my every need. God is my, is, is my, is my supplier. I don't need all these possessions to understand my worth anymore. And what a beautiful moment that is. And I think sometimes we have these little things in our lives that we, we like to think that we hold with an open hand. But when the pressure comes, all of a sudden we get a bit uncomfortable and we pull it in. And it's because we have a misunderstanding of our identity. We have a misunderstanding of the Father's love towards us, right? And you even see when he's on the beach with him, 
It's all, it is, it's about them wrestling with God, fighting God to God. But the interesting thing is when you go to Matthew 6, it talks about going away in the secret place. About prayer. About just sitting with God, listening, not babbling. Right? And I think in that moment when Jacob was on the beach, that was, that was a secret place for him and God. He just got away. And the power of what happens when it's just us and God is incredible. Right? It's, it literally transforms us. It can restore relationships that look unrestorable. Because I think, you know, if you were to ask me at the beginning of the story, you think Esau is going to kill him if they ever see him again? I'd say 100%. <laughs> right? Like, oh, he's going with 400 men. Do you think, you think this is the end of his life? I go, this is where his story ends. Right? He's done. Like, it's over. Sorry, buddy. Good luck, though. Right? And so, um, sorry. Oh, a bookmark. Oh, okay. So I thought you were passing me a note. I was like, oh, no, have I touched the mic again? Or, um, <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so I got a story for you guys, right? Um, it's like 1904, right? And there's a family in the UK, um, and they've got two little kids, and they decide that they're going to make a move to come to America, right? They're going to follow the American dream, Right? And so they pack up all their stuff, and they're getting ready to go. And the father looks at the family, and he says, Listen, guys, we've had to save every penny we have to, to get to do this trip. Um, I just want to be really clear that when we go on this boat, you know, when we go on this journey, we, we're not going to be able to eat in the dining hall with everyone because we just have enough to make it over the sea. We don't have enough to spend on all the food and stuff. So we're going to pack our own food, Right? And so they get on this boat, and they start their journey, and they're a bit embarrassed about it because um, everyone's up in the, in, the, in the dining hall having a laugh, having a great time. Um, and so they're a bit embarrassed, so they just kind of keep to themselves in this little corner cabin, right? And so each, as the days go on, you know, family, I'm you know, stuck in a cabin with your family. I think it's like three weeks to get across on a boat. Just saying. Maybe some black eyes may have happened, right? Um, <laughs> And so, uh, so they're stuck in this little cabin, and then on the last day, the father looks at, all, at his family and says, Guys, listen, I want you to put on all of your nicest clothes. Not all of them, but put on your nicest clothes, right? Put on your nicest clothes, and we're going to go eat in the hall with everyone else tonight. So the kids are like, What? So dad's like, I saved a bit of money without anyone knowing, so when we came on this trip, I could just bless you guys. I just want to love on you, Right? And so they're like, so everyone's really, really excited and they get dressed up and they walk up to this hall with confidence of like, we belong here. This is who we are. And so the guy goes to hand his meal ticket to the captain of the boat. And the the captain looks at him and says, sir, where have you been all this time? We've been so worried about you. Like you're not mingling with anyone. You haven't come to eat in the hall. Like, are you guys okay? And so the father kind of gets a bit down, and he's like, reality of it is we didn't have enough money to eat with everyone every night. Um, so, But we saved a bit of money so we could come up here on the last night. And the captain looks at him, and his eyes start to fill up. And he says, sir, did you not read the ticket? It was an all-inclusive trip. And all of a sudden, it dawned on this man that because he didn't read... He, he missed out. And this is, a, this, is our, this is our identity, right? 
And we got to be careful because I think sometimes we can fall into the trap of valuing the pages more than what the pages say. Right? But we have to, we do value the Bible, right? And we read it because this is our DNA. And my, one of my biggest passions to see people in the context of identity not be stuck in a corner cabin because they didn't read their ticket. That they missed out on family. They missed out on fun. They missed out on all the buffets and the steak dinners and, and all like, you know, the chocolate fondue and all that stuff. And they're probably sitting with sandwiches in a corner cabin, right? Guys, we have to become a Jacob where we have a moment in our life. And I think we have to be Jacob on a regular basis that we just get away with God and we just wrestle with him. And we just say, God, show yourself to me. Like, who am I? Where's my identity? Are there things that I'm valuing and basing my identity on, right? Is there things from my past or is there things going on right now that I'm basing my view of love on because it will distort the way we view God loves us. It will, we will distort the way that we feel God values us and the worth that he puts in us. And so we have to become a people that are so engulfed in what this says about us that we have the ability just to come away with God and say, God, if there's any area of my life that I'm holding on to, separate me now. Let me send it across the river and let's just wrestle this out. Let's get into it. Like, let's talk about it. And before we end that, we say, but I can't leave without being blessed. Right? I think sometimes we get away with God and, you know, we'll feel a bit beat up. Right? But it's not, God is, he's a, he's a God of encouragement. Right? One of the things I always do when I get away with God is the first thing I say is, tell me three things I'm really good at. Tell me how awesome I am, right? Because like, I'm not perfect, right? I know something's coming in five minutes, but before that something comes, I want to know how good I am, right? Tell me how beautiful I am, Jesus. Come on, let me know. Um, and then it comes, and then I've made it a habit of every time, like if something gets highlighted in my life, I don't just sit there, because I used to have this horrible habit of something, and I go, right, cool. This is what I'm going to do. This is my plan. This is how I'm going to fix it. This is what I'm going to do, which is good. It's healthy. But I always, I never said, God, will you just bless me before I leave this time? Before I, before I go into my day and before I even start this journey of, of having to make, maybe shift some things in, in my thinking and who I am and some hard issues to resolve what you've highlighted to me, can you just bless me real quick? Can you just call me blessed? Right? And when we start to do that, we see that we begin to change. Our identity begins to change so much to the point that people won't even recognize us. You know, like God literally changed his entire name. He called him Jacob, now he's Israel. Just based on the fact that he said, you have to bless me before I go. Right? Sorry, let's probably open up my notes. <laughs> mm. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of just wrap up that little bit right there about the identity and love. But I did have, if I got to speak to me, um, just to kind of bring bit of encouragement. Um, to, I, I, don't, I don't know. I think there's multiple people this is for. Um, but when you go to Luke 18, it's talking about the parable of the persistent widow. And um, a while ago, I did a bit of research of what it meant to actually be a widow back in, uh, back in the Old Testament times, right? Um, it's kind of heartbreaking because when you became a widow back then, um, you got completely exiled. Like, people wanted nothing to do with you. Um, and there's like this long list of like just horrible things. Like one of the things that happens is when you become a widow, um, 
if you have sons, uh, you, your land goes to your sons. You don't get to keep it. And if your sons aren't of a mature age, all you get to do is maintain what you already have. So you can't expand your crops. You can't expand your, like the, the animals. If you have three cows, you can only have three cows until your sons take over. Right, um, and it says most widows, as soon as they became a widow, they'd have all these financial issues because the, the you know the husband was their provider, and so debtors would come to them, and they'd trick them, and they'd give them these schemes and get them sucked in, and they'd go into just horrific debt, right? And then when we go to, in Luke eighteen, it, it talks about how this all of a sudden this widow is in front of a judge, and it's a judge that doesn't fear man and doesn't fear God. He even says it himself, it's a, the judge is a man that fears, does not fear God and does not fear man and has a hard heart, right? Um, in order to be in front of a judge or a king back then, you had to be someone of stature, title, and importance. Otherwise, you didn't even get into the, into the, the inner workings of it, right? Um, widows weren't even allowed to sell their goods in the courtyard. They'd actually have to go outside of the courtyard, um, and they'd have to sell there. They wouldn't even be able to come in. Right, so all of a sudden we see this really peculiar thing of all of a sudden there's just this random woman, you know, who has one article of clothing. A majority of widows then, after their husband had died, would have one article of clothing because it was all they could afford. Right, so we know she's tattered. She's probably gross, right? Like, has sheep's blood, you know, stale cow's milk all over her. You know, like it's just she probably didn't smell great and probably didn't look good. Right, like she didn't go for a mani pedi before she went to see this judge. Right. And it's incredible that she even got into this room. She had no right to be there. And beyond that, she comes to the judge. She doesn't even ask. She tells him, grant me justice against my adversaries. Not like, hey, can you help me? This is my situation. This is what's going on. She looks at him and says, grant me my justice. Right? And the judge, you know, is the persistent widow, the judge, just finally after a number of times, he says, I'm just going to give this woman justice so she doesn't beat me down with her constant nagging, right? So somehow she's consistently getting in front of this, in, in front of this judge that she does not belong, right? She has no right to be there. She shouldn't be there. And somehow she's there multiple times and she's just telling him, give me my justice, right? And I just felt, I just felt really pressed this morning on my drive up. Um, I think there's some people in here, and you have some adversaries, life, adversaries in your life at the moment. You have some things you're going up against, and I think there's some things you're looking at thinking, I shouldn't be in this position, but somehow this has happened. And I need a way out, and I don't know what that looks like. And I just felt, just to encourage some of you in here today with, don't give up. Be like the persistent widow. Put yourself in places where you don't belong and don't be afraid to demand, not just ask. Right? Because sometimes we ask God for things that he's already given us. Right? God's like, you say, oh, God, can you please do this for me? He's like, I've already done it. You just need to take it and grab it. Um, and so I just kind of just wanted to, I know it's a bit off subject of what I preached on, but I just felt really pressed to share that with you guys. Of In your quiet time, man, and whatever the situation looks like, don't be afraid to walk into a room and say, give me my justice because this is wrong. This isn't okay and I need my breakthrough, right? So guys, thank you so much. It's so good to see you all. Thanks for having me.